Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Well, I'm almost Alex Pearson. I don't sound uh, I don't sound as girly as she does. Uh, she has a deep voice, but I have a deeper voice. I'm Peter Sherman, in for Alex uh, just for tonight, and happy to be joined by two people I haven't worked with before on panel. John Raz, former liberal war room director. I've worked against you, John. Yes, you have. <laughs> and happily so. Oh, it's all it's all good. It's after five o'clock, Peter. Absolutely. So we're going to have a drink together. Bill Hutchison, uh, well-known broadcaster, TV broadcaster, and journalism professor these days at Seneca. Hi, Bill. Hi, Peter. Nice to meet you. Good to be with you. Now let's uh, let's kick this off by talking Steve Bannon and Steve Bannon in a context that you know, but I'll set up for the uh, for the listeners. Critics have been. Um, calling for the debate that involves Steve Bannon. He's supposed to debate uh, in the Monk debates in Toronto with David Frum in the not-too-distant future, and people want him out of this. They don't want Steve Bannon anywhere near Toronto. They think the Monk debates uh, are of higher standard than to invite a person of that ilk, that ilk being, I suppose you could describe him charitably as far right. Uh, and um, the question is whether or not we should allow it. Now, I'm going I'm to kick, kick it off by playing a couple of pieces of audio from uh, earlier today. First is a montage of people who are calling for uh, the cancellation of the debate. Keep out of our city. We don't want your hate here. We're outraged and um, it's, an, it's an insult. We believe that his very presence in Toronto and the platform he's been given endangers our community. I know that people are talking a lot about the tragedy that happened uh, in Pittsburgh. While he didn't pull the trigger, it's his words that created the poisonous atmosphere. Okay, so that's the montage. Now there's another piece of tape here that is a student which is surprising because of, of the restrictive uh, speech we hear about on campuses these days, a student telling uh, Global News that he is advocating for the event to go ahead, and here's why. So that people can hear these ideas and make their own decisions about them. When people don't have an opportunity to actually interact with the ideas, then they don't have an opportunity to hear rebuttals for them. Okay, so there you go. Two um, differing points of view. One uh, put forward by a number of people who are saying, no way he should be in our city. The other one by a young person who says, hey, we should be listening to all points of view. I happen to, and I'm going to kick it off saying this, I happen to agree with the student. I'm open to listening to anybody say anything, and I think that free speech these days is being somewhat stifled. Besides, I also think uh, highly of David Frum, and I think he's uh, the right person to have on the other uh, side of the stage at a different podium. What say you, Bill Hutchison? I say it's called a debate, which means that you don't have two people with the same opinion, so you have to have some differing opinions and let him come in. I don't agree with what he says, but as the old uh, saying goes, I will defend his right to say it, and and then I will debate him and, and shoot him down. But I will not shut him down, let him talk, let people hear what he has to say, and then let David Frum rebut it. That's the whole point of free speech, and if you don't defend free speech, then what's the point of, of our free society? 
Well, you almost perfectly quoted Voltaire, the French philosopher. I will. I paraphrase to. a lot of things. Well, there you go. But that's okay because I think it was a good thought. I will defend to you to the death your right to say it, even if I don't agree with it. John Mraz, are you there in the same place, or are you somewhat different? I'm, I'm in the same place. I'm going to mention another philosopher. I'm delighted that there's at least one student in Canada who read John Stuart Mill. And on the right of free speech, I stand as a liberal, as real liberals, not social democrats, as they pretend to be now. Uh, I, I say. First of all, absolutely let him have, let him come here. David Frum is a capable uh, interlocutor. It's going to be a great debate, and I want to hear those ideas because John Stuart Mill and that student and you, apparently, and Bill and I agree. That debate will shine a light on some very ugly ideas, and Mr. Bannon is responsible for promoting some very ugly ideas, this, even the term drain the swamp, which he proudly confesses he brought into the swamp that is D.C., is an old expression from Mussolini's fascist Italy. So this is an ugly guy. So I say bring him in. I also think it's ironic that the five people in the montage or the pastiche or whatever it is don't realize that without Bannon's appearance, they wouldn't get a mic from which to espouse their own set of values and ideas. Well, there, there would be go. silence. So there they should go. be happy he's coming. Are you, and, and I think we all agree, which is rather interesting because we come from a, a, a well, not quite a panoply, but a, a variety of uh, of differing political stripes and uh, and from different backgrounds. And I, I'm surprised this this seems to play into the debate that uh, is ongoing. That uh, I guess has been highlighted by nobody more than Jordan Peterson, uh, late of University of Toronto, uh, which um, speaks to the college campuses. And you inhabit a college campus, uh, Bill Hutchison, every day, Mm -hmm. where you've got one side that seems to want to shut the other side down. I always thought that it was that end of the spectrum, so I was so happy to hear the the student talking, yeah, let him in. Um, It it seems to be that uh, these days it's we don't want to hear your side. And I think that's so wrong, no matter what the sides sound like. Absolutely. There are too many uh, people out there who are just ready to be offended. But I, I, I'm happy to say in my classes, because they're journalism classes, I encourage them to to discuss things and debate things and look at things from different angles and different perspectives. And don't let people shut you down and not have a, a, an honest discussion about things. Well, there you go. Let's let's move on to uh, another subject that uh, kind of came up late in the day today. Uh, you've probably uh, become familiar whether you like it or not, with named Terry Lynn McClintock. <laughs> she, she is the uh, the woman who was imprisoned for the uh, the death of young eight-year-old Tori Stafford. Uh, and her name was in the news again about a month ago uh, because she was moved from a, a, high, a high security, maximum security prison to uh, a healing lodge, sorry, I believe it's in Saskatchewan, but out west, uh, which is an indigenous form of... Uh, Let's call it imprisonment and rehabilitation. Now, what's interesting is she has a brother, and the brother has come out, and he has said, and we're going to play a bit of him, uh, that uh, she's not an indigenous person, no way, shape, or form. Here he is. She's no more indigenous than I am green from the planet Mars. Um, I, I I honestly feel and... (laughs) <laughs> she she's manipulating information to make her situation better. You know, uh, either they're ch- I think they're changing his voice using some kind of machinery because nobody sounds like that. Not even me. Uh, here's another here's another clip of uh, of the brother whose name I don't have. Go ahead. To be incarcerated for those eight years, and inside of those eight years, to have assaulted another inmate, to be given 
access and rights to go to somewhere that has, for all intents and purposes, minimum security and no fences, where there are freaking children. Who, whoever made that decision to allow that to happen should be fired. There's a guy with some pretty strong opinions, uh, and uh, he talked to Global News and put them across. And I've got to say, I was I was iffy on the whole issue of her being moved from prison to what is called a healing lodge. Not that I am very familiar with what goes on in a healing lodge, but I'm given to understand that it's a lot less onerous and freer, and the brother seems to um, corroborate that, than uh, a prison would be. But he's saying... This person has no business in a lodge uh, is for the use of indigenous persons. What's she doing there, John Brass? Well, uh, if I if I understand how she arrived there correctly, you are allowed once you are uh, a number in the corrections uh, in the corrections uh, basket to declare yourself indigenous. Um, which led me to believe that it would be odd if I didn't want to pay taxes and I wanted to self-govern myself that I'd have to get arrested to have that happen, uh, he said, telling a bad joke. But but what I, what I think here is uh, I don't understand how, A, if it is true, you can declare yourself uh, as an indigenous person when there is no basis, in fact, for that, and we have great genetic tests, et cetera, that determine that. Uh, but you can just declare yourself that. B, uh, if that's a regular protocol, um, we better take a look at it. And I've yet to hear, by the way, either party put any legislation, and I'm going to be the partisan. I haven't seen my liberals, and I haven't seen your conservatives, Peter, put any legislation across the table since this horrible story started to address what seems to me to be uh, a system that is not providing justice but exceptions to the rule. And finally, uh, the brother, uh, good for him for having the courage. Blood and belonging is a difficult thing to break. Uh, he clearly thinks his sister is a dangerous person and should be still incarcerated in a maximum security penitentiary. Why aren't we listening to the very family that should, by all rights, be the only people who might try to protect or defend her? Damn, we're on the same page again. <laughs> I've been told that uh, that, that he's, he's remaining anonymous, which is why I can't find his name, and that is a disguised voice. Bill Hutchison, are, you, uh, are we still all together on this? Uh, we are indeed. It should be noted, however, that the brother is not actually her biological brother. She was adopted by his family, by his, by his mother, uh, uh, so they're not actually related by blood, and they don't have a particularly close relationship. Nonetheless, you think? He, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. Sorry, I state mean, the sorry. obvious. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it should, however, for Corrections Canada to allow someone to self-identify as Indigenous without having to um, offer any kind of proof, to me, that's cultural appropriation at its extreme, and that to me is offensive. And I think that a lot of Indigenous people should be offended by that as well. Well, I think what we what we can probably also all agree on, and again, you know, we seem to be in lockstep, is um, since hearing that she's been moved to this lodge, uh, and now hearing from a family member, whether they're blood relatives or not, that uh, she has no business being there, uh, it's at least worthy of an investigation. And if she's not uh, legitimately, legally, and blood-wise uh, of Native background, I see no reason for her to be there. I see no reason regardless of her being there. She was convicted of a very heinous crime and she should have to do the time.
There you go. Okay, we have to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the uh, greater Toronto and Hamilton area and what we might be able to do uh, with transit were we to uh, take a look at a project of, uh, I'll call it immense proportions. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Peter Sermon for Alex and uh, to everybody out there listening, hoping uh, everybody's had a happy and a very safe Halloween. We're in the middle of Counterpoint uh, and on the panel today, John Raz, former Liberal War Room director, Bill Hutchison, television broadcaster, whose name and face you know well, and journalism professor at Seneca College. Now, uh, guys, we're talking about a couple of things we agreed on. I don't know whether we can agree on this, but we'll try. The uh, GTHA, so-called, the Greater Toronto and Hamilton area, is a broad uh, area of multiple transit authorities and bus lines, the GO train, uh, the TTC, underground and above ground, Mississauga bus, York Region Transit. I could go on for a while. Point is this. The Board of Trade has put out a survey that says that 79% of citizens surveyed in all of these regions uh, support the formation of something they're calling superlinks. Uh, for want of a better word, uh, a Greater Toronto, Hamilton, Waterloo area transportation authority because everybody feels that uh, transportation in the area, mass transit, is disjointed. Can I kick it over to you, John Raz, and uh, get some reaction to that? Uh, yeah, this is a, this is an issue, and I think you probably in Ottawa, and I certainly working with Mayor Tory on the first election, and thereafter, and at Queens Park, it, it's dear to my heart. Transportation matters. We've got gridlock in Toronto. Uh, we've got gridlock in all sorts of towns across the province, and as you know. Every time you want to do something, you want to build new subway tunnels, for instance, which we did, and they're great. I just took them all the way up to Vaughan. Then we sell the machines that built them because we can't get the city, the province, and the feds to get together, pool a bucket of money, give up jurisdiction, and they fight. And you and I, Peter, both know not a partisan issue. It just ends up in dead, uh, in, in you know deadlock of its own, right? So I don't think this is even going far enough. Yep, Toronto and Hamilton, let's get us together. Let's get all of the cities around Toronto together. Or let's just give it all to the province. So at least then you've reduced it. We need federal money. You give province a jurisdiction like the OMB had over land, etc. Right? But as long as there are competing municipalities, provincial and federal interests, you and I know the more levels of government involved in any project, the more expensive and the later it gets. Well, I've got to tell you, Bill Hutchison, in the next hour, I'm going to have a transportation expert of some note on who's going to talk to me, and uh, uh, I, can t- I can tell you already what he's going to say. He's going to say, you know what? This sounds great, but it's not so doable. It's costly. Um, it's difficult to manage, and uh, we've got to come up with another way, and, and I'm summarizing. Uh, I don't know if this is doable, but I can tell you that during my time in office, and I was in opposition, we were looking at new ways to do things, and um, at that time, both Ford brothers were around, and I, I was talking, believe it or not, to uh, to both of them and to the guy who's become premier. And they were uh, all for subways, but we weren't talking the grand scheme of things. However, behind the scenes, our party, which was oh, it still is for me, the PC party, was saying, upload the whole damn thing, whatever's underground, whatever's on top of ground, because you've got to put things together so that the guy who wants to visit his friend in, let's say, Durham region, and he lives in Mississauga is going to spend half the day making the trip and go through five jurisdictions and, and spend 50 bucks. 
As for your expert, your trans, transit expert, uh, if there's a will, there's a way. It can be done, and it just takes the political will to do it. We have seen what's happened with election after election. Every time somebody runs for office, they've got a new transit plan for Toronto. And as a result, we've got absolutely very little transit uh, being built in this city. It's been a, an embarrassment. You travel around the world, you go to places like Barcelona or London or New York, and you see fabulous transit systems that move people around. You can get around those cities quite easily on transit. It's just an embarrassment that Toronto hasn't got that. And you get people in Toronto, the councillors in Toronto say, well, why should we pay for transit that goes north of Steeles Avenue? Because then we won't get any seats on our transit. It's absolutely ridiculous. The parochial attitudes that go on here, you had to have to have a provincial authority. You have to have that authority for the GTH, whatever it is, the HA. GTHA. Yeah. Uh, Whatever that acronym is, you need to have one transit authority. Metrolinx is not the answer. It could have been, but it's become a bureaucratic nightmare. Take it out of the hands of the TTC. Create this new, whatever you want to call it, Superlinx organization. But make sure that it has clear uh, funding uh, plans so that it can make long-term plans and it's not three years at a time or four years at a time. And then also get contractors that will actually uh, comp- will build these, uh, these subway systems a lot faster. It takes us way too long to build transit. Madrid built 50 kilometers of transit in eight years because they had the political will to do it. It can be done, and it's just a matter of a government saying, you know what, we've got to do this. This has to be a priority. And people who want to fight climate change, this will take cars off the road. This will have a bigger impact on reducing our carbon footprint. Well, I think it's a big deal, too, and, and uh, I wish I knew how to, uh, to push a rope because that's what it seems to have been where transit is concerned. And I hope that the uh, the will that's being expressed by the government that we've had in place for the past uh, four months is such that we move in that general direction. That's me. As I say, our transit expert next hour will uh, have what he has to say. If- but I'm, I'm worried, guys, because um, we, we've gone through about four topics so far, and nobody's jumped across the table to strangle <laughs> it's, it's us. It's the well, sugar rush from Halloween. Well, let, let, me, let me shock you both and jump right over to the right of your flanks on this transportation issue because Wait, you're going to go to the right of me i'm going to the right of you okay. bill i'm i'm going to i am going to boldly say as a real liberal hobbs lock liberal i don't think the government should be in the business of transit at all if you go to the great cities like madrid and uh new york city where there's transit everywhere five competing companies not government in new york city providing subway service Bar none, best in North America. Government's not involved. You're okay. no liberal. You're just, you're just <laughs> telling me you're a liberal. All right, we're going to move on. We'll, we'll talk about uh, this some more. For people who are interested in the transit question, stay tuned. But right now, people have to choose to die before they might be ready uh, if, if they're taking advantage of, uh, that's an awful phrase for me to have chosen, to say something like uh, death with dignity. It's, it's not a choice anybody ever wants to have to make, but a couple of thousand people in Canada have since this legislation passed. Now, the patient, and I didn't know this, has to be conscious and of sound mind on the day of their death. Um, is changing that rule a viable solution? That is, when my disease gets me to this stage and I want to go, um, or, or have we already gone too far with this legislation? Because this woman in Halifax, her name is Audrey Parker, she's got terminal breast cancer. She uh, she sounds pretty good right now, but she had to choose when to die, and it's tomorrow, and she doesn't want to die tomorrow. She wants somebody else to be able to make the decision for her in the event that she can't. Here's, uh, here's Audrey Parker. If I was all loopy from my meds, I'd have to go off my meds and be suffering. It takes so much to get on top of your, me- your medications, on top of your pain, to then, like, 
volunteer to go off the pain meds to have your death. It's really ridiculous. Do we need a change in that law to address what she has highlighted as a problem, Bill? This is a difficulty in writing some of this legislation. There are unforeseen circumstances that, and it's, it's difficult. It, you would think you could write in the legislation that someone could have a living will where they could say, you know, when I get to this point and stipulate very clearly and have someone who has been designated, it's a difficult decision to make for anyone. But if you, if you get to that point, please pull the plug. I don't want to, I don't want to live anymore. Uh, I, I can't see why you can't write something like that into the legislation. I, I realize that it's a very difficult thing to do. It's a difficult decision to make. Uh, I'm going to die tomorrow and, and, and carry through that. that. That's hard for anybody. Well, I hope that uh, none of the people here or anybody listening ever has to make that decision. But here's a woman who has highlighted uh, an issue, John Raz, that um, that I think is um, clear and real for her. Because here she is uh, looking at a needle tomorrow while well, she's feeling reasonably good. But given the pain meds and the, uh, and the stage her cancer is at, could be quite different uh, three, four, five, six days or two weeks from now, and she has no option but to uh, keep herself going or take the needle tomorrow. What do you think about that? Well, I, I'm not going to become too confessional, but tragically, um, someone very, very close to me, uh, in fact, made this very decision and had a living will. And how that's done, let's forget the legislation, because the legislation is clear. you, you got to do it in sound mind at that moment, make a, a cogent and cognizant decision in real time. You can't say, I want this done if this and this, this happens. So what that looks like is lots of smart doctors out there understand that's just not tenable. And what they'll do is bring in a family member and provide that family member with the narcotics necessary to an assisted suicide. That is being done every day, all the time for seniors by their sons, by their daughters. And I speak from Personal experience, tragic. Okay, I'm, so, I'm gonna, so that is tragic. So I'm that not gonna is ask how you get help. around it. And it, you know, when I was mulling about all of this back in this hypothetical day where this might have happened, it uh, you know, one of my great mentors said, "This is exactly why we need to have better laws, for instance, about abortion on the books, and why we had to open it up because it's abortions never stopped happening." Well, I, I've got to I've got to take you away from abortion yeah. because yeah. we're just about out of time. But yeah. I I take what you're saying. Uh, Quite seriously, because I think you're right. Uh, putting people in a position where they have to carry something rather than having a law that That's now right. that we've tested it has uh, some options means we have to rewrite them. John Mraz, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, Bill Hutchison, same thing. Pleasure working with you both. My pleasure. All right. And I'm Peter Sherman in for Alex Pearson. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.